We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is me, Lean, from ArsenalVision.co.uk. So, well, well, well. Defeat at the hands of the mighty West Brom at the weekend. But it was all made far worse by the news that Francis Coquelin is now going to be missing for some time. Now, I can handle a defeat. You can't expect to win every game. We've, we won five games in a row not so long ago. Setbacks happen, as we've seen from everyone this season. That's fine. But when you lose a key player for a long period of the season, ah, it hurts a little bit, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how we uh, reshape the midfield going forward now. Will Arsene Wenger buy in the window? Especially if uh, Mikel Arteta's calves keep going. And we're lacking in numbers in that area now. Well, not the area of the pitch, but in that particular position. So yeah, our injuries are a big concern at the moment. As they are most of the most seasons, aren't they? Really, hoping last season, especially the second half of the season, when our injury record improved a lot, we got players back after Christmas and they stayed fit till the end. For oh yeah, this is good. This is what it's supposed to be like. Injury here and for a few days. Oh, it's fine. They're back again. You know, oh he's out for a week. Don't worry. They'll come back. Oh he's back again. Look at this. This is great. This is how normal teams operate. But unfortunately, with us, the same problems keep happening and. A lot of the same faces are injured in the same part of the season, in the same position. Because this is what we do. I don't know if we didn't do this, though. But, yeah, I'm not so concerned about about the performance. Because, to be honest, it wasn't much different to our, you know, Watford away, Swansea away performance, Palace away even. 
just that. Both ends of the pitch, defensively and offensively, we weren't as strong or sharp as we should have been. When that happens, you can unfortunately you can get punished. Joel Campbell really should have scored. Maybe nine times out of ten he would have scored. Mr. Penalty, a player of, of Santi Cazorla's quality, he scored every penalty so far. He slipped. Sometimes it happens. And yeah, unfortunately we made some really poor defensive errors and uh, that's my biggest concern really of the day. Don't know what to say really. We'll see how things go on from now on. Now we've got Zagreb tonight. In a strange sort of way, I'm not really that fussed about the game. Well, at the moment, we're recording this anyway. I'm sure when the game comes around, I'll, I'll be very different. But sort of what the Premier League. I'm a bit concerned about the players we have playing so many games and not enough rotation. So we need to get our, our squad players back in the squad and um, back on the pitch so we can rotate and get some sharpness and some freshness back. So anyway, yeah, enjoy the match tonight and uh, we'll be back after that one again. It's not all bad news at West Bromwich Albion, as Santi Cazorla's penalty kick has given NASA new views of space that we will use for further exploration in the future. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. At the moment, we are uh, tasked with the unenviable position of having to break down the breakdown in West Brom, including uh, not just the goals conceded and the goals that weren't scored, but also the knee. Oh, the knee. The knee of the cock. Who knew a cock had a knee? And now we know, unfortunately. Um, but we're here to talk about it with two very uh, erudite and sophisticated gentlemen. And I use that term loosely. The first is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Poznan in my pants. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! That's extremely ebullient under the circumstances. The second is Tim. You can find him virtually everywhere. But on Twitter, he's still Birdo. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hey, so, yeah, this didn't go exactly according to plan. It's after an international break. Obviously, you know, things are going to be a little challenging. We already know what our injury issues were, and we will get into the Cochrane thing. I think what's going to be most interesting here is to kind of dissect what now. Um, my own personal approach would be to spend this entire time ranting and raving about the summer, but what's done is done, so maybe that's not going to appeal to anyone. So let's just start with the game itself. And... Where the breakdowns were and where the opportunities were. Interestingly enough, I actually didn't think the performance was as bad as it was painted, especially second half when we dominated. But, Tim, why don't we start with you? First half, we get the goal. What did you think of the performance first half? Forget defensively for a minute, but in terms of creating chances. Because the goal aside, it really seemed like we were struggling to break them down. Yeah, it did a bit. And, and actually, it looked like it was following the pattern of um, quite a few of our recent away games. And I think in many ways that was the problem. Um, I think it, the, it was very similar to the first half against Swansea, to the first half against Watford, although West Brom didn't create an awful lot either, whereas arguably Watford did have a chance or two. And um, I, I think the problem was going 1-0 up, actually. Um, and I think the players, just for a few minutes, thought, oh, this is just going to pan out exactly like our other recent away games have and we'll probably come away with a 3-0 win. And really, you look at the whole piece of this game, I think Arsenal dropped their focus for 10% for 10 minutes and it cost them the entire game um, as a result. And that's that's a huge, huge lesson um, for the team, I think. But it's kind of one they've been taught repeatedly um, before. So, and actually creatively, um, in the second half, we did have quite a few chances considering it was, I mean, West Brom started with a 4-5-1 um, at 0-0. So, you 
So and they left Berahino on the bench. So obviously they were going to play that way to the power of six um, when it went to two one. And I, I predicted a draw before the game because I just don't think there's enough um, impetus. Um, there's basically we don't have enough players to do anything fresh. And and I I predicted a draw against Spurs. I predicted a draw against West Brom for that exact reason. Actually, I'm reasonably satisfied given the circumstances that it was an awful pitch that um, we couldn't bring anyone of any great use on um, other than Joel Campbell, who isn't of great use, unfortunately. <laughs> and, and actually, I thought we created enough in that second half to get a result. And it was just a mixture of not quite finding the finish. And, you know, obviously the penalties just, you know, summed it all up, really. So I think... I actually think offensively it was possibly better than I expected um, and I think we did kind of deserve something from it in the end but really this is this is just another slightly worrying sign of Arsenal just going 1-0 up and taking it a little bit too easy and that that was a, that only went on for 10 minutes and but that's all it takes to lose a game and um you know, I'd, I'd like to think that there's a lesson there somewhere, but I, I feel like we've seen it too many times before and that actually Arsenal are just the kind of team that every 10 games or so, this is probably going to happen. Yeah, you know, I'm always prone to giving in to hysteria <clears throat> wherever possible. But I think what's interesting is we'd actually been, if I remember correctly, on a pretty fantastic run, statistically, of not dropping points where we'd taken the lead. Our mm. problem had been not recovering losing positions. So I know we have had a lot of collapses down the years and lost a lot of leads, but recently we've been very good front runners, very good with the lead. Um, I thought that the goals were a little bit fluky, and for me the problem continues to be, while I know we've conceded too many headed goals and set-piece opportunities and things like that, the problem for me still seems to be a paucity of really reliable goal-scoring options. So for you, Paul, on the day, Giroud, Campbell, Alexis, what was your appraisal of how they performed, especially in the first half, where I know we did take the lead, but in, from open play, we, we really struggled to create? Well, what was amazing was in the first, just before the goal, um, we pretty much hadn't got into their box. Uh, there was a free kick uh, from Alexis. That got us into the box. And I think there was one pass that Alexis ran onto that kind of ran out for either a goal kick or a corner, probably a goal kick because I don't remember much of a corner. And there was pretty much nothing before the free kick that led to the goal. I mean, we looked okay at the back. We were knocking it around in the middle, whatever that phrase you used the last time, uh, cadenzas or... Uh, stanza? Stanzas, yeah. We yeah. were in the, mm -hmm. in the middle stanza. We mm -hmm. were half decent, but as we approached the end of that middle stanza into the first stanza, or is it the third, you know, there was just nothing there. We couldn't get, rem we couldn't remotely get near the box. I mean, it was just amazing. And then with about a minute or two before the free kick that uh, set up the goal, we started beginning, you know, that was about 25 minutes of the game. We started beginning to look like we might actually threaten the box at some stage and then Tim kind of uh, uh, adequately described the uh, the following 10 minutes after the goal. Uh, in terms of our attack, I mean, Giroud was just completely neutralized for the whole game. It was the classic 
him banging up against two centre-backs, looking frustrated, not having the pace to do anything different other than keep banging against the centre-backs. And they just had him penned in. And once they had him penned in, and they were so solid centrally, you know, they they were pushing us out to the wings knowing that we didn't really have any options uh, and we weren't very keen to go to the byline, so we were bringing it back into the centre. I mean, it was just kind of, seemed to be playing into their hands. I mean, our front three in the first half was Gibbs, Giroud, um, and Alexis. Alexis was supposed to be tired, but he looked lively throughout the whole game. I thought Gibbs actually did a pretty decent job um, <coughs> pretending to be a winger. <laughs> and uh, I think he did okay in the first half, really through to the substitution. You know, I think he did himself proud. Obviously, he you wouldn't go out and buy him in the market as a winger, but I think he, uh, you know, that side was extremely secure against them, so everything that happened came down the other side against Bellerin, unfortunately. It wasn't his best day by a long shot, um, and that's where our, uh, McLean looked v- very lively, very quick for a big lad. Um, I thought I thought Gibbs did okay. I thought Alexis did really good. I think Ozil... Won't get the credit he did for that game because we were so shit generally. Um, Cockla only lasted 10 minutes, which brought in Arteta. So Arteta really had the cha- pretty much a chance for a full start. Um, it wasn't a great cameo for him. <laughs> but but I, I'll say this. I thought he played well. Outside of, like, the cock-ups, the, the <laughs> Arteta-Cazorla midfield thing, they looked pretty reasonable. Uh, we were just beginning to maybe get into it when we got the goal. Um, and I, I thought Arteta did reasonably well at the beginning of the fr- second half, too. I, I thought that had some promise in this scenario. But, you know, the goals just completely unhinged us. But I thought his open field play for Arteta was actually fairly reasonable. Anyway, I'll take a breather there. Well, so so the second half, I mean, so, so Giroud scores, and I think... The interesting thing is it was a very poor game from him, I thought. But there was a point there right before he scored where I said, you know what, our only chance of scoring a goal might be a set piece or a long ball or a cross because from open play, we just don't look like passing our way through them. There's no cohesion. And sure enough, Giroud was able to get that. But in the second half, we really pushed them back. They defended incredibly deep. I mean, they just about employed the 11 men standing in their own goal um, approach to defending. Tim, was the second half really a a case of seeing just how slim our goal-scoring options on the pitch are right now and that with one or two more informed, goal-oriented players, we could have had quite a few because they were really defending deep and nobody seemed to want to step up and and, and make the moment theirs. Absolutely. And and, and actually, um, you know, I think in in a way... uh, Joel Campbell changed things actually when he came on. Um, in terms of, he he just varied our threat a little bit because he's a wide player that 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 kind of has a centre forward's mind. What he kept doing was he kept going for the for the West Brom left back whose name I completely forget, and that left back did not look comfortable at all. And all of a sudden we had, and you'll remember it from the guilt edge chance that he missed, but actually that ball came in quite a few times, that diagonal ball to the back post. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden we had somebody actually running in behind the fullback, and I don't think he looked comfortable with that at all. We switched Alexis to the right, uh, sorry, Alexis back to the left, 
And what he does really, really well is that he doesn't quite sit on the touchline, but he doesn't come that far in either. So he actually kind of occupies, he occupies this space where it's very difficult to know who should pick him up because you've got the defensive midfielder thinking, well, he's far enough in field there that I might have to pick him up. And then you've got the fullback going, well, he's kind of my guy, but he's just a little bit, and, and you know, he creates this confusion. And I think he did that much better on the left-hand side than he did on the right. And all of a sudden, we had this kind of nice momentum going where Alexis was able to carry the ball in field. And that kind of whip ball to the back post was on quite a lot. Unfortunately, um, Joel Campbell just doesn't really quite have the touch or the killer instinct to have, to have really made that count. Um, on, on the back post, his, his movement was very good, actually. But, you know, and, and you saw with that kind of guilt edge chance, it just didn't quite come off. But that, it was that exact ball as well as where we got the penalty from. Um, it was Kazora, I think, this time that put it in. And you had Alexis and Joel Campbell attacking that back post. And West Brom didn't look comfortable there um, because it was pulling their players away from Giroud. And, and it did give us a bit of variety. Um, but unfortunately, we just didn't quite have the quality um, to make it count. That's the difference for me. I, you know, I mean, you can talk about the goals we conceded all you want. But when you spend 45 minutes in their six-yard box and you have a penalty, and you have an open shot on goal, along with eight or nine other half chances or good opportunities, you should be able to recover that position. Um, you know, it's not like they peppered us with shots. It's not like we were particularly vulnerable. They took advantage of instability in our midfield momentarily after Coughlin came out, and, you know, that, that affected us. And who knows? I mean, maybe Arteta was even playing with the calf thing to try to run it off. But to me, the issue right now is that I just don't see who's going to step up and get goals. I mean, you'd expect Alexis Sanchez to do it, but there's certainly a question about how fit and ready he is right now. And once again, all the way back from Chile, just a couple of days before, before kickoff and Giroud doesn't seem to gel well with the, the players that are available right now. And Joel Campbell is not going to step up. I actually thought after Joel missed his opportunity, he really hid um, and marked himself right out of the game. And that's really hard to watch because that tells you about his character. You know, you miss an open chance and then you're, and then your game is over. I, I assume Paul, and I'll, I'll let you answer this quickly. Cause I don't think this is a point of discussion. I know Cazorla has been out of form. There's no debate about him taking the penalty, right? Not for me. Uh, I mean, all the shenanigans from West Brom, you know, they're really taking on the loathsome personality and skin of their manager. Um, you know, Meh, yeah. put your put your penalty away. You know, I mean, oh, I agree. Step, step up I agree. and put your penalty away. Yeah, I mean, I mean Tim, no Tim I assume there's no excuses in the end. But he's certainly the you know he was the right man to take the penalty. Would have been interesting if Arteta was still on the pitch. Interesting point. Yeah, I, I mean, Tim, just real quick, no no debate from you either, right? No, no, no. His his, his record from the spots fantastic, and mm -hmm. and on this occasion, you know, I mean, he slipped over. What what can you do about that? And um, there was a lot of shenanigans the penalty I think people would have seen Craig Gardner but Olsen before that was in his face Giroud came along and to his credit got rid of Olsen the second he got Olsen out of the way and actually Olsen tampered with the penalty spot as well when the ball was spotted and um Cazorla had to re-spot the ball um and then yeah and then after that you know it's it's just quite unlucky really to be honest yeah Paul yeah, there was a really interesting um, piece on um, uh, the breakdown with 
Adrian Clark because I would have I would have been fully in line with what Tim said on the penalty. But he does have a really interesting snapshot uh-huh. of Cazorla just as he's striking the ball, and he's leaning way too much back. It, it's almost like he's he's overcompensating and trying to smack it in. I, I think they did get to him, um, and and you know it's hard to escri- describe when you look at it. He's really stabbed his foot into the ground at the last moment, and I think they've put him off his usual technique. But anyway, just for people to have a check, you know, who am I to critique a professional f- footballer's penalty-taking posture? But uh, they did get a really good snapshot of him just as he strikes the ball. And, you know, you can see from the angle that he, he has no chance of staying upright on that pitch. But anyway, that's just yeah. my... I'd, I'd just add really, really quickly that um, from the ground, like the, the turf was terrible, absolutely mm. terrible. And um, actually, if you look at Joel Campbell's chance, it comes because the West Brom defender slips over because mm-hmm. it's, you know it's like a cow patch in there. So I, you know, I, it's not a massive surprise that he lost his footing on that ground. Oh yeah, look, I, I have did, some I sympathy did. for his slip. I'm just saying, you know, at that point. He is the penalty taker, and you expect him to step up and make it. Yeah. I, I do think it's a pretty damn good excuse for why we were slow, so slow getting started. I mean, not completely, but, I mean, it really looked like you were having to push this ball around the place. There was no zip. You could, conf- you, could you know, maybe forgive the first 10 or 15 minutes of us taking a while to get the crank going there. Just It was just a goddamn awful pitch. Maybe not 25 minutes, but you could see why we were slow getting out of the gate and getting anything go. The second half, I thought we were, yeah, yeah. What was that? Oh, yeah, it was it was freeze, frigid cold, right? Hey, hey, I gotta say the away support. I re, you know, when I watched it the second time, um, the away support, I really enjoyed it. Like they were really giving the uh, the Brummies some stick. It was uh, quite a lively bunch out there, so. I, I, that was one of the aspects I thought, yeah, I'm getting my money's worth here. Um, so, Tim, the the thing for me is, you know, you can go over the pitch or the tactics or the international break and all of these other things, but at some point you have to come back and look at the players on the pitch and say, you got Joel Campbell, you got Gibbs playing up, you know, as a forward, you've got Matthew Flamini after Arteta goes off, you've got... Not a lot of quite, you know, Giroud, who, who's hit, hit and miss, really doesn't seem to gel with this group. Santi Cazorla, who's out of form. I mean, is there a point to be made here that the quality is just desperately lacking at this point, that the, the squad has been stretched too far, and it's too much to ask that the two stars of this team, Alexis and Ozil, do all the work for the rest of them? There's an element of that. I think it's the type of player we've lost as well, because there is actually variety in the squad, but... We've lost, um, we've lost, you know, Ramsey, Chamberlain, Walcott. These are, you know, guys who change the pace of the way you're playing. Um, and really, with all of them out, Alexis is now really the only player that, that, that does that. Um, so I think it's it's as much the type of player we have out as, as well as how many. I think if you've got a spread of injuries, um, you can mitigate for it to a certain extent. But when you've got not just players in the same position, but, but and, and Wilshere is another one, and Rosicki is another one. These are guys that change the tempo of how you play, um, and it's just a few too many of, of, of that type of player. Um, but for me, the worry, the, the takeaway for me here is um, 
is the focus, which I, I think it's just something that happens to this team every now and then. They just drop off. They just get a bit complacent. And um, at, at the risk of digressing too much, I've, I've just listened to a really, really good podcast. A guy called Graham Hunter um, does these interviews with, with kind of old footballers. And, and they're really, really good interviews. I really recommend it. I've just been listening to one with Graham Souness. And um, Souness uses this phrase um, that... It, that uh, Joe Fagan used to tell the Liverpool players, find the dope, um, was the phrase he used to use. Because he used to say, <laughs> the top players, the top players are the ones that focus for every single second of every single game. That's what separates players. And Joe Fagan used to say, you know, there's one player on that team that for one second, two seconds, will try and take a breather. Maybe when the ball goes out of play for a throw in, run and get that ball, sprint, take the throw in quickly, test his concentration, because there will be one player in that team who for one second will let them down. And he said the best teams are the ones that don't do that, that focus mm -hmm. constantly. And actually, when I, when I heard him say that, I thought to myself, Arsenal don't do that. Um, and to an extent, I don't think they ever really have. Um, under Wenger, I, I do think even Wenger's best teams had that kind of that in them where they would perhaps coast um, maybe from a position of strength but still and, uh, and that that's my big worry that every 10 games or so we're just going to get this again where there's a kind of yeah we're all right we're doing well and the focus drops just two or three percent for two or three minutes and, and points go down the toilet and um, I'm just not sure I ever really see them learning that lesson enough I, I just I don't disagree to some extent, Tim. But like, isn't it very easy to often find reasons for things other than just the players aren't good enough? Like, I'm not saying these yeah. players aren't good enough to beat West Brom, but like, if Coughlin's on the pitch, maybe they don't get their second. And you know, if Ramsey's out there instead of Campbell, maybe he tucks away that chance. And if Coughlin's still out there, maybe because Orla has a better game. And you know, if Theo's out there, Alexis comes alive more, and the the whole dynamic works better. I mean. But Paul, the goals, the goals go were all mistakes from good players. I mean, who yeah, are the good players? Just out of curiosity, Arteta. He's not a good player. Oh please, he might. He's, he might. He not was have a good player. Yeah, he's but, done. But he's done. But, right? I mean, he's done. But, but hang on, he's in the six-yard box. He's he's taking a position. He's got all the skills he needs to handle that. His, yes, of course. Yeah, of course. There, there's absolutely no reason he couldn't have performed in that situation. Bellerin's involved in it. You know, yes. Mikel Arteta getting uh, organized in a wall. Um, Bellerin getting his positions right. Bellerin getting back and marking. I think it was McLean who went to the byline. Koscielny um, escorting the player he's marking. These are all good players. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I just think, like, you know, if Coughlin's on the pitch, it's a slight step up in in athleticism and confidence and quality, and, and maybe the goal doesn't get given away, or if Ramsey's out there, maybe the Joel Campbell chance is a goal. Or, I mean, there, there's a lot of quality missing on the pitch right now, and it's easy to point to bad pitches or this, that, or the other thing. What I'm asking you, Paul, is have we reached a point where the quality of the players we're putting on the pitch can't be expected to deliver results game in, game out? Because, I mean, look... Gibbs is starting as a forward. Then Joel Campbell's coming in to rescue a game. Then Arteta's going in and out, and Flamini's coming back in. I mean, at some point, don't you just point to the the, the personnel and say, I mean, let me ask you this, Paul. How different was the team that finished that game yesterday 
from the team that started last season thirty in, in the worst form for 30 years. It's not much different. Well, I, I certainly agree in terms of – I mean, I did think yesterday, you know, back to the debate of is this team any better than last year? Well, I, I kind of bridle it at that question and comment because it obviously is. But right now we're in a, a rut where it feels – we're no better than our low point last year in terms of team and team selection. But I think it's about right. team selection. I mean, our issues yesterday were two stupid goals off set pieces or somebody putting a cross into the box, which we've seen quite a bit at the start of the season. And then I was, I was uh, cheered up greatly to see us overperforming on set pieces recently. And it, once again, we got a goal from that. Ozil seems to be quite good at that. You know, there were uh, quite a few good things in this game. Uh, that's why, uh, and I think we said this before, you can't paint it all one color. There were some good things in this game. I, I was, I'm was i surprised all three of us feel that the second half was actually, um, you know, it, it was a pretty decent half. It wasn't great, but there was enough in that for us certainly to get that that extra goal and, and to get it back to level and maybe earlier than than when we got that second goal. And I think well, that's, that's also why, though, I'm not as critical of the goals we gave away because my opinion on that game is with better quality in the final third and more confident, skillful players, we had the opportunity to score three, four, five, six in the second half. I mean, sometimes you're going to give away stupid goals. Quality players do it too, as you pointed out. But in my opinion, it was really the inability to convert opportunities yesterday yeah, that but really I, cost us. I know where you're going, but I think you're going to have games in the season where you're short of players. And to Tim's point, it really comes down to focus. And those were focus issues yesterday. There's no reason. You can kind of understand it from Arteta. He's been in and out, mostly out. But that was a focus issue. Bellerin, I felt, played a role in both those goals. And there was more he could have done. Um, there's no reason he couldn't have done better. The people involved in the goals, there's no real excuse for it. Uh, when Jonas banged it off the crossbar, I mean, it was it was him up against Flamini. Um, we were doing our zonal marketing. I mean, marking. I mean, we were doing our thing. I mean, there's there's no reason we couldn't have have defended those three situations better. Um, and you're, I, I think you have a valid point, but. It's kind of to me. It's a separate point it, that really affects us going forward. It doesn't really affect those goals. That, that's all about focus, and and having that consistency in in the season. And in a game like this, where you're you're feeding off scraps, and you need to not make those mistakes, or you're going to get hurt. I I think this was a self-inflicted wound yesterday. That wasn't really about the quality on the pitch. That's okay. another story that impacted it. Okay, I, I mean, um, I and my disagreement is just that I think if we had more quality on the pitch, even having conceded two goals, we come back and win and maybe comfortably. Tim, let me ask you a quick question. Yes. The team that finished the game, if that team had to play the next 20 games in the league, where does Arsenal finish? <laughs> that, that, would, that would depend on what happens to kind of other teams, I think, fitness-wise. I think. Oh, that's such a punt. <laughs> It would, it'd still finish in the top four perfectly fine, I think. Okay. Um, the, the worry for me is, you know, kind of going back a little bit, um, is that was our first choice back five um, on Saturday. And probably all of them made errors in, because I didn't think Czech did brilliantly on the second goal either, as good as he's been. And that, and that is focus. And really what happens 
Every team has that. You look at Arsenal in, I think, 97-98 when they won the double. They had huge injury problems. I remember this one game against Crystal Palace where, honestly, I, I posted the starting lineup on Twitter a couple of weeks ago because I looked it up. And Paolo Venazza started on the right wing. We played Shields Grimondi in midfield, even though he was injured, um, because like we had all these injuries. And uh, what did we do? We won the game 1-0. And we got a bit of a fluky goal, a Shields Grimondi kind of overhead kick. That's not something you can really legislate for. But we stayed solid. We didn't make any mistakes. And that's what, if you're going for the league, that's what you do. You go, do you know what? We've not got much on the bench today. We've not got much going forward. But... And we went 1-0 up in this game, and that should have been enough because, you know, you go 1-0 up and you go, right, we've got our first choice back five here. This is West Brom. There are no great shakes going forward. That You know, that should be enough. And in most circumstances, it would have been, and we would have been able to kick on had we not just lost that bit of focus with, with 10 minutes to go. But to bring it back to your question a little bit, I, I mean, had a question. That's a rarity. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't I mean, just rant and then stop talking. <laughs> I mean, obviously, no. That that team that finished the game against West Brom, that is not winning the league, um, irregardless of how weak the Premier League is um, at the moment or how compact it is. That, that will not win the league. Um, and I don't think anyone would expect it to. I don't think any other team with, shall we say, equal injury issues would either, um, to be honest. Right. Um, I, I think that team, objectively speaking, would finish third or fourth, depending on whether Liverpool's renaissance under Klopp is, you know, the real deal, considering whether Spurs are growing into something approaching the real deal. Um, it'd still finish in the top four, but no, it wouldn't be challenging for the league. I think that's fair. I mean, it's it's hard to say right now because it, it is a hodgepodge of players that really were not intended to be on the pitch altogether. And that, that comes back to our next point. I'll just say something really quickly about goals versus defending. Um, there's only one team in the league. Only Man United has conceded fewer goals than Arsenal. Uh, but five teams have scored more goals than Arsenal. Um, and I know it's, you know, it's still early and that, you know, that's not statistically scientific, but it's the point that I think all of us going into the season, if I said to you, which is going to keep us from winning the league, conceding too many or not scoring enough. I still think we would have said not scoring enough. Um, but let's move on to the, to really the the heart of the matter now, and Paul, I'll start with you. Francis Cochran gets injured. Looks like it's ligaments. It looks like it could be two, three months, or beyond if the scans come back negative, I, uh, or you know, positive for a tear. It could be the end of his season. Um, what do you make of where we go with that position now? What would be your preference, and what do you see the manager ultimately settling on? Okay. Um. 50 games, 50 games, undefeated. 50 games, 50 games, I say. 50 games, 50 games, undefeated. Playing football the Flamini way. So, apparently he's 50 games undefeated at the Emirates. Um, what, was that in, like, 1972, though? Just out of curiosity. What? That it was, was a while. It was a while ago. <laughs> it was a while ago. Well, um, uh, here's my feeling. I, so, uh, my vote is we stick with Flamini. I think okay. it keeps... Keeps all the other working parts working as they are. We obviously need more up front, but shifting the guys around, I don't think fix that. I think you just, it, it's whack-a-mole. The problems will show up elsewhere if you move Cazorla around or if you, you move Ramsey back when he comes back. Um, you know, if we've got Giro up front, we're going to need Ramsey on the right wing to start being effective, etc. 
Um, I think Flamney got a lot of stick last year when he wasn't terrible. He was okay. Um, and I think his records at the Emirates, wh- while taking 50 games is a lot. I, you know, I don't buy into this, oh, look how many games we won with this guy on the team. But 50 games is a lot where maybe I wouldn't say it proves he's great, but it probably proves he's not completely shit. Well, I mean, Patrick Vieira once won a season undefeated, but he's not going to walk back into our midfield tomorrow either. I mean, he's been to Milan and back and injured but, and old and slow. But it, and, you know. but it, yeah, but it probably means he was pretty good. He and also was our basically playing in the center of our midfield last year during the worst run we've had in 30 years. Yeah, but he's undefeated at home, which, okay. <laughs> tell, which tells you he can't be completely shit. Um, I, I don't think he's completely shit. I think what we're looking at now is what are our prospects in the wake of the Cochrane injury because we're not trying to finish fourth. I mean, that's the problem with, with this debate is people want to come to the defense of players like they're not completely shit. I don't think any of them are completely shit. I think they may well, not be good enough to carry us to a title, well, which is really what we're all hoping for. Well, if I was Flamney's lawyer, I'd dump me because that's not exactly coming to somebody's defense. I'm just saying I think he's <laughs> I think I think he's okay. It's it's the he's not completely shit defense, I grant you that. I think he's okay. I think he's actually in a pretty good run of form uh for him. Um and I think uh I don't know what we do in January. I think he mentioned Flamney and Chambers. Uh, there might be opportunities to experiment at some stage with the Cazorla-Ramsey thing, but I I just don't feel that's the right mix. I don't think we have an option. I think Flamini is okay. I think we'll be found out against the better teams um, or if there's a lot of transition stretching our our midfield. But I think that's the way you go. Okay. What about you, Tim? I mean, what are the prospects without Coughlin and... And, and not only who would you go with, but what, if anything, do you make of Arsene Wenger's suggestion that Chambers could be used there? Um, I, I won't elaborate too much on part of the question because I completely agree with Paul. I, I'd just play Flamini because I think he's the best working impression we have of Coquelin. And, and Fair in enough. his kind of limited um, appearances this season, I think, I think he's looked pretty decent. So... I'd just keep everything else the same and, you know, hope that he enjoys some kind of renaissance. It is the last year of his contract, um, so he's got form there. Um, But, you know, we were kind of in a similar position about this time last year, weren't we? And and things actually fitted together pretty quickly, even though they were put there out of necessity. You know, last Christmas we were looking at, oh, shite, Bellerin's, like, had a poor game against Stoke, but we got no choice but to play him and we've had to bring Coughlin... Uh, in from Charlton on loan and we've got no choice but to play him and Chesney's gone completely rogue so we've got a spinner and we've got <laughs> to play him and actually it all fitted together quite nicely um, whether by luck or design I'm not quite sure and uh, we can only hope for similar on this occasion um, but I, I'd stick with Flamini for me Chambers um, I, Chambers is certainly an option there he's probably the option after Flamini. Um, I'm not sure he quite brings that mobility there. I'm not convinced. What about how he handles being pressed? I mean, we saw against Liverpool in the yeah. first half that you put some pressure on him and he will give the ball away. That, to me, that performance would be the biggest worry about sticking him in the heart of our midfield as the deepest midfielder. Although he, he, he did at first. Um, I, I think it's worth saying he, he kind of he really he recovered after that. Yeah, but that's in his locker, right? I mean, we've we've yeah. seen him produce that. It's, it's certainly not ideal. Um, 
you can't play for me Chambers and Cazorla, but Chambers is distribution is pretty decent, so I think you can have Chambers and Ramsey. I think um, maybe that will work. But what will be um, this is really weird for me. I'm going to bring this round to the transfer market, and I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm usually the one beating this question away. But what will be really interesting for me is I I've thought for a long time for the last three years that Wenger has wanted. Um, a new defensive midfielder, but it's been a bit Goldilocks, you know, he's been waiting for the perfect one. And I think he was trying to do this with a striker as well until Olivier Giroud got injured and he thought, well, fuck it, I'll buy Danny Welbeck. I don't think he's amazing, but, you know, needs must. I'll be really interested to see if he does that in January with this kind of defensive midfielder, whether he continues to wait for um, for Goldilocks or whether he just thinks, do you know what? I've got a real need here, and I'll probably just have to settle on someone that's kind of seven, eight out of ten, and cock up twenty million, and you know, whatever. That's um, not really been his mo, but <laughs> no, but I mean, he, you know, he did it with Welbeck, and and, and you know, there was basically he, you know, the summer of two thousand and fourteen, he kind of bought a lot of squad players in. Yeah, um, he could go for Schneiderlin. United aren't using him. <laughs> But you know he, he might he might take he might take the view that well do you know what Arteta and Flam and his contracts run out at the end of the season anyway and he's probably not going to renew either of them so why not you know try and go shopping a few months early but I, I'd be fascinated to see if you know he really you know pushes that panic button and just kind of settles on someone um, if Schneiderlin was still at Southampton and hadn't gone to Man United because I know Wenger kind of hovered his finger over that button um i think he'd push it in january obviously that choice isn't there anymore but i wonder if he had like a few more kind of players lined up maybe he swallows the william carvalho has george mendes as an agent thing i don't know but i I think that's fascinating to see what he's going to do there well you will get your wish we will find out i mean i don't think cochlin's going to be back in the frame and i can't see him relying on an aging Flamini and an untested Chambers or moving Ramsey. Paul, really quickly, what would you do against Zagreb? And is it time? I've been bleeding on about this, but we're struggling to create. The personnel we have right now is not lighting anybody's hair on fire. Is it time to change the system a little, try Sanchez through the middle off Giroud, maybe move Cazorla up to the front three or play Ozo on the wing? Is Does he need to make a change to get some dynamism out of this squad, maybe try to relight a fire under Alexis, or is he going to bang away tomorrow with Campbell, Giroud, Alexis, Ozil, Cazorla, Flamini, and just, you know, say, I still trust those guys. Uh, I think he's going to go with trusting those guys. I mean, it'll be a completely different game. Thank God. It'll be at the Emirates. We'll be able to zip it around on the pitch. So we'll start a lot faster. Hopefully we'll have the second half like we had against W. WBA, but in the first half uh, and with better results. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he does about Campbell. I mean, it was that was pretty interesting that he didn't start him. I think that's a vote of no confidence to begin with, and he looked fucking pissed when Campbell missed that, that chance. So be interesting to see if he starts Gibbs. I thought, like I said before, I thought Gibbs did okay. Uh, quite a bit of good in there, though. Though not a, he's not going to be a great finisher for us, even though he scored a goal. Uh, in his previous game. So I think he's going to go with the same as against uh, Zagreb at home at the Emirates and hope we zip it around. And they're going to be ultra-defensive, so 
Uh, we're probably we would probably have needed Giroud in there to bang in crosses too anyway. Um, hopefully we'll be okay. I I I, th- I think your question might come into play the next time round. Uh, Ho- for, home to Nor or at Norwich, I guess. Yeah. I mean, presumably Norwich. Ramsey might be back tomorrow. Actually, so Tim, just real quick, if there's no Ramsey, are you? Are you starting to say I've got to yoke some extra goals out of this setup by you know this personnel by changing the setup a little bit, or are you, you going to give them? I mean, given the the relative weakness of that Zagreb team, I know they beat us, but they really don't look fantastic. Are you just going to go with what's tried and true and hope someone finds the confidence to to put away their chances? Yeah, I would. I, I don't think there's much time for anything else, and I, I think. I think he's he's made a decision and he'll start Ramsey because, you know, on Saturday night it was always oh, going to be a bit short and now all of a sudden um, he's, he's okay and he's going to start. And I, I think, I gather that Ramsey has actually been training for the last few days, but we've tried to exercise a bit of caution and I think Wenger may have just thought, I, I think what we'll see is Wenger thinks, well, if Chamberlain's back on Sunday, if I play Ramsey on Tuesday and I've got Chamberlain back on Sunday, perhaps I can sit Ramsey on the bench. Um, on Sunday and try and handle it with kid clubs as as far as possible. Um, but I think he will start Ramsey on the right um, tomorrow night. And, and, you know, hopefully he'll be able to, you know, 65 minutes the game will be over and he'll be able to take him off. Um, whether that happens or not, we'll see. But I think he's going to kind of take that calculated gamble with, with Ramsey um, to try and spark something. And we, we do need a bit of a spark. And that means at least one of those players coming back um, and if Ramsey's the closest, I think that's what he's going to do. Yeah, I tend to agree. And I think, you know, I've heard various opinions on, oh, you know, losing a player like Francis Coughlin shouldn't be the end of your season. I, I don't think that losing a player like Francis Coughlin is the end of your season. I think losing a player like Francis Coughlin when Arteta's gone and Flamini's your backup and the other option is a right back who's maybe a center back who could play defensive mid who's also, you know, not 20 yet or just 20, whatever he is. I think that's the issue. Um, and again, I think it's important to frame any debate about this in the context of what we're discussing. We're not discussing Arsenal finishing fourth. We're discussing a season where it looked like we really could have a go at the title. And once again, we're talking about injuries derailing that. And I really was tempted to say, let's go all the way back to the summer and revisit the issue of squad depth and whether it was reckless to go into the season with Flamini and Arteta as the backup for Coughlin and not get a striker and all that. But the truth is, it's such well-tread ground. Everybody's made every point there is to make about it. So I think at this point, it's not really going to be interesting to everyone. So maybe let's just leave it there. Um, Big game tomorrow. I mean, if we win, and assuming Bayern do what they can do to Olympiacos, and I I still think they will, even if they're at 50% of effort, it all comes down to the final group game. So there's... There's a lot on the line tomorrow, and hopefully, you know, those players who didn't step up and take their chances on the weekend will show the confidence to do it this time. Tim, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I know it was a long weekend of travel and cold and not particularly the best footballing experience, but thanks for coming on. Uh, absolutely my pleasure as always. Yeah, uh, enjoy the, the match tomorrow. Tim can be found on Twitter at Stilberto. You can also find his wonderful writing in various places, including uh, Ars blog. And Paul, you can find his wonderful writing on his blog. Uh, you can find his wonderful tweets on his Twitter account at Posen in My Pants. Paul, thanks as always. Thanks, guys. I actually almost enjoyed that, which is some going. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not a great occasion. Let's just... You know, fingers crossed, maybe Cochran comes back sometime this season and can play his part and Theo's back a little sooner. I mean... We can't we can't redo the summer, so we need the players back. And if they come back, you know, I still think it's all there for us. The good news is domestically we have a little buffer of easy matches, quote unquote. Uh, 
where we can hopefully get fit. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I strongly recommend it. If you can leave us a review on iTunes, give us five stars. You know, say how great Tim and Paul and James is as well. James joins us regularly. And then you can bash me in the comments after that. So it all works out. In any event, uh, up the arsenal. Big game tomorrow to keep our Champions League hopes alive. Or if we notice with 10 minutes to go that Olympiacos is beating Bayern Munich, let's lose 5-0 tomorrow and get out of the Europa League. Cheers, and we'll talk to you after the game. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.